listening to the Seven Point Highlander podcast. This is Millie, and with me is Sav. Hi, guys. And Vance. Hello. This is episode three, and today we will be talking about the rules change that is coming with the Dominaria set, or in this case, has arrived with the Dominaria set. We are also going to be talking about some of the cards that we're excited about in Dominaria. But first, just a quick reminder who each of us is. Vance, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Andrew Vance. I'm from Canberra. I'm one of the members of the Points Committee, and I love Highlander. And Sav. Uh, I'm Sav. I'm from South Australia. I'm also now one of the members of the Points Committee, and I'm the resident brewer. I love to brew, and this is probably my episode of choice. New cards. And I am Millie. I am a level two judge from Melbourne. And I have been involved in Highlander for a little over a year now, but I am excited to learn more from you guys. I am going to give a little bit of an apology for my voice. Uh, I am a tiny bit croakier than usual. I am recovering from a cold and I was talking for pretty much all of GP Sydney, which at the time of recording this was uh, just a couple of days ago. Speaking of GP Sydney, I just wanted to say thanks to everyone who came up to me and said hi at the event. I'm sure that some of you who came and said hi to Vance as well. Yeah, they sure did. I was there judging. Uh, Vance was there to play. Sav sadly couldn't make it, but we missed you. Disappointed. Next time. Next time, definitely. Yeah, next time. Uh, Several people did come up and told me that they were listening and enjoying the podcast so far, and I just wanted to say thanks to you guys. It's really awesome to get input and feedback so soon. Yeah, I'd like to just give a shout out to Mushy and CFB Events for hearing the community's concerns about the timing of the Highlander events and adding some extra ones. It was really fabulous to see so many people playing. We had 30 on the Friday, and I think we had... 16 on the Sunday 2pm and some for the 6pms. So there was, you know, several events. There was probably 50 or 60 bodies across them. It was fantastic. Yeah, we really appreciate everyone who came to the GP because it looked like there wasn't going to be much happening in the Highlander space, but CFB events responded really quickly to our concerns that we got to tell them in person on Thursday and got these events running. And now that they know about Highlander and how popular it is in Australia, uh, we have got a lot of guarantees from them that there is going to be a lot more happening at GP Melbourne in October. Awesome. Yeah, that should be really fantastic. Moshi was really keen to make sure that we got the events people wanted to play in at GP Sydney and bigger and better things for Melbourne. So can't wait. I also want to give just a special little shout out to Nick Jeffries from Broken Hill for creating our social media icons. They're really awesome. They look super professional. We're really grateful for that. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, thanks Nick. All right, so getting into the topics of the day. First of all, I'm going to have a bit of a quick chat with you guys about the rules change coming with that has arrived with Dominaria. Now, for the most part... There isn't a lot happening in Dominaria that is explicitly going to affect us as Highlander players, but Mm. there is one change that is going to be a little bit confusing and is worth talking about, and that is the Planeswalker damage redirection change. Now, previously, the way that the Planeswalker redirection rule has worked is that any damage that is done via a spell or ability to a player can get redirected on resolution of that spell or ability to a planeswalker that they control. That rule is being has been removed in Dominaria, and how they are dealing with that so that functionally magic remains much the same 
is they are erratering a lot of cards. Thousands mm. of cards. It's uh, quite a daunting list when you look at it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, well, Alpha and Beta Lightning Bolt don't get affected, so that's okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone who's got their Alpha and Beta Lightning Bolt, you know, all hundreds yeah, of them. Yeah, we only need, only need one of them, right, for Highlander? One <laughs> <No>. pricey card. <laughs> they're, they're fine. So I'll just quickly summarise what that change is. Basically, any card that read target creature or player will now be ch- changed to, say, any target. So that's us joking about Lightning Bolt. Uh, the original printing of Lightning Bolt just said deal three damage to any target. Yeah. It has yeah. since been changed to be deal three damage to target creature or player. And it is now back to deal three damage to any target. <laughs> Let's hope they don't revert Time Walk to its original wording. That was confusing. That was very confusing. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, it is... Uh, Target player loses next turn. <laughs> and uh, that caused for some misunderstandings. But yeah, so Lightning Bolt is, is obviously a key card that affects us as it is one of the most powerful red spells around. A spell, a creature like Walking Baluster, which you can uh, remove plus one plus encounters from it. It says it deals one damage to target creature or player. It will now say it deals one damage to any target. So for the most part, that's really straightforward. Where things get a little more complicated is in the following. So any spells or abilities that read target player will now be changed to target player or planeswalker. Uh, So that will affect your cards like Lava Spike and Boros Charm that say deal, for example, deal four damage to target player. It will now be deal four damage to target player or planeswalker. However, there are a couple of exceptions to this. So, for example, it's not really a card that's played in Highlander, but it's just a good example that Wizards have given us is Sudden Impact. It's three and a red for an instant spell. Sudden Impact deals damage equal to the number of cards in target player's hand to that player. It's not going to say target player or planeswalker because it just doesn't make sense. Planeswalkers don't have hands. Um, Finally, things that read target opponent will be changed to target opponent or planeswalker, uh, with the same exception. If if there's an if it calculates the damage in an odd way, then it'll probably just stay target opponent. Now, the key thing to look out for with this change is the word target. If a spell says that they are that it targets a player in anything that was printed up until Dominaria, then nine cases out of ten you're going to find that it will now be player opponent or planeswalker however there are some cards that are not affected and because they're not being changed the way that they interact with planeswalkers is changing which is a slightly confusing way to put it but if you see the word if you do not see the word target then it's probably going to be worth looking up the oracle text of the card just to make sure that it does what you think it does. For us, the the card that I can immediately think of it affecting is Fiery Confluence, no, which is quite a I love that card. card. <laughs> that that card is so main deckable in Highlander. I, so many times it was in my sideboard, it just kept moving into the main deck, and now we've got to think about that. So I I can't kill Planeswalkers. 
unfortunately, fiery confluence cannot kill planeswalkers anymore. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the card, fiery confluence is a spell that's uh, two red red for a sorcery. It says choose three. You may choose the same mode more than once. The first point is fiery confluence deals one damage to each creature. Then it says fiery confluence deals two damage to each opponent and then destroy target artifact. Now, previously, uh, if somebody had resolved a Jace, for example, you could resolve a Fiery Confluence and you could choose to deal two damage to each opponent twice as two of your choices, and you could redirect that damage to a Jace. However, now that will not work because Fiery Confluence says each opponent and not target oh, opponent. Okay. That makes yeah, sense, that each yeah. will get you every time. Mm. And that's pretty much, for our purposes, that's going to be the the main thing to look at. Anything that says each player or each opponent is not going to work to uh, kill Planeswalkers anymore. So this also affects uh, Price of Progress, mm. which mm. is ah, yeah. uh, quite the card. Yeah, burn players would be sad about that because they could use to kill kill uh, Planeswalkers with that. Is that right? Yeah, and uh, cards like Earthquake as well, um, which just dealt the damage to everything, can't get redirected anymore. Oh. Everything it... except Planeswalkers, who seem to float <laughs> just above the ground and are unaffected <laughs> by Earthquakes nowadays. They, they just walk away and then come back. You, you don't notice. Yeah, yep, but, but you much. can't because you're in the battle. Because you're the Planeswalker that's in the battle, you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, if you, you, if you leave, it's a concession. You, you lose, but Planeswalkers, yeah. <laughs> they, can, they can get out and they'll come back and That's have a beer in a hand. That's why you got to like, oh, take the damage. I'm sorry, did something happen? <laughs> oh, um, yeah, this also, is rough. I don't think, I'm not sure if this card has hit Highlander that much, but um, Hazarat the Fervent is a card in standard right now, which is quite powerful. Hazarat the Fervent is three and a red for legendary creature god. It has indestructible and haste. It can't attack or block unless you have one or fewer cards in hand, but most relevantly uh, for a 5 body, it has 2 and a red, discard a card, Hazarat deals 2 damage to each opponent, and once again, this now can no longer touch Planeswalkers. Yeah, um, Chandra Torchos Defiance is another one that has seen a small amount of Highlander play that can now no longer kill other Planeswalkers, because oh. she deals her damage to each opponent, I assume. Oh, I love, love Chandra. Chandra is so good at managing Planeswalkers. Yeah, opposing planeswalkers. That's great. Wow, this this change really does actually affect red players in Highlander, doesn't it? It does. There's some black cards as well, although I can't think of them offhand. Um, one of the key changes early on is just going to be making sure that, as Millie said, your cards work the way you think they do. If you're not sure, there is there are lists online of all the cards that are affected in each way. Um, or if you're in an event and there's a judge, ask a judge. There'll be a bit of a learning curve for all of us until we refamiliarize ourselves with exactly which cards are you know have the text we think they have it's going to be a learning curve for grixis control players especially since uh yeah. treasure cruise has gone up by a point and fiery confluence is now not able to kill one of the biggest enemies for grixis control which is planeswalkers without your dread boar your fiery confluence isn't going to do as much uh managing those planeswalkers yeah look it's really true mm. um so i don't know i think it's going to be an interesting change it'll be interesting to see how it plays out there are just two more cards that I wanted to quickly bring up that are affected by this rules change, um, yeah. and that's because they're the same sort of thing, and that is Harsh Mentor and Eidolon of the Great Revel. Oh, right. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, once again, uh, these guys don't say each opponent, but um, because 
they reference a particular player. So in Eidolon of the Great Ravel's case, it's that player with Harsh Mentor. It, it's each a, it's, an, it's a non-symmetrical effect, but again, it'll say like the player that cast the, activated the ability. Uh, once again, those are, that damage cannot be redirected to Planeswalkers. So as you said, uh, if you run red and to a smaller degree run black, not the other colors don't really get to do direct damage to other to players so much. Uh, take a look at your cards and seriously reconsider if they're doing what you want them to do in your deck. Yeah, I just realized it also presumably affects Burning Tree Shaman, which is uh, a favorite of mine. Oh, um, yeah. Burning Tree Shaman is from original Ravnica, well, from Guild Pact. It's a one and a red and a green for a 3-4 that whenever a player activates a non-manner ability uh they take one which you used to be able to you know they'd tick up a planeswalker and you'd kindly tick it back down for them. <laughs> um but that just doesn't work anymore unfortunately no i guess there's only one small upside for red mages and if they're trying to burn someone's face hopefully they weren't going for the planeswalkers in the first place but it does definitely reduce the flexibility doesn't it absolutely yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of situations where you need to pay attention to, you know, that Jace or a Liliana or something. Um, this makes it a little bit harder, but it should make for some um, more interesting cards that they can print going forward. And it is a, it is a much more straightforward rule. The Planeswalker redirect, damage redirection rule was always a bit of a hack. <laughs> yeah, it was an awkward workaround for a game that wasn't ready for Planeswalkers. And I, I think it's good that they are finally making a more permanent change to deal with it. Yeah, and Leyline of Sanctity is relevant in other formats, but, I mean, no one really plays that in Highlander very much, if at all. So I guess that, that doesn't really affect the being able to target Planeswalkers now. Oh, right, yeah, because you having Hexproof isn't good enough anymore. Mm. Oh, that's mm. another interesting consequence. Yeah, that's a that's a yeah. very good point. I Probably doesn't really, affect, doesn't really affect Highlander much because we, we don't really like playing singleton Leylines, but sometimes people do, you know, they just really don't like getting hit by Liliana and a bunch of discard. Yeah, look, I've certainly had various like blue-white control decks or Esper control decks side in Leyline or similar cards against me so that I can't dome them uh, mm. with all my burn spells. So yeah, take a look at your 75s uh, Highlander players and see if you have to change anything. Alrighty, so I'm going to take us into our next topic now, and this is one that we have been very excited to talk about, and oh, that yes. is we have the full set of Dominaria in front of us, ready to be combed through for juicy Highlander pickings. And I don't really see any reason to wait. So we've got a short list of cards that we're interested in and want to talk about. Did you want to get straight into it, Sal? Yeah, let's go for it. We talked about Damping Sphere last well, fortnight. Let's not worry about that one because that's probably the breakout card. Let's look at some other colorless cards. What about Khan Sion of Urza? You guys excited for this guy? Yeah, Khan seems... Um, Khan's one of those cards. I'm not 100% sure where it goes. I mean, it probably goes into the uh, artifact control sort of decks. But it might go in other places. It's it's a very aggressively costed Planeswalker that gives you a bunch of card advantage. If you're unfamiliar with the card, uh, either because you didn't play pre-release or you haven't looked over the set release notes, Khan Cern of Urza is a 4-mana colourless Planeswalker, so that is just straight up 4-mana. Legendary Planeswalker Khan. He starts at 5 loyalty. So high. His plus 1 is reveal the top 2 cards of your library, an opponent chooses one of them, Put that card into your hand and exile the other with a silver counter on it. 
He then has minus one, put a card you own with a silver counter on it from exile into your hand. And finally he has minus two, create a zero zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact you control. So although he doesn't really have an ultimate, fundamentally he's plus one card advantage, get the worst card of the two. Minus one card advantage, probably get the best card, the one that got exiled last time. And minus two, protect yourself. You've got a blocker to uh, to protect him. And that's pretty much what every planeswalker wants to do. The requirements are cost less than five, protect yourself in some way, and generate card advantage. And he ticks all three boxes. And in a lot of decks, that minus two, you're going to drop him on turn three or four, and that minus two is going to give you a five five, which is a pretty good deal for four when you've got a planeswalker left over as well. Yeah, I can see this guy in a multitude of different decks you know, artifact decks, but then also some kind of decks that just want a colourless Planeswalker because they don't have access to, you know, Jason Mind Sculptor, they're not playing blue, so they, they don't have the access to the, the best four minor Planeswalker. <laughs> well, Planeswalkers yeah. are generally inherent card advantage because you get something from them every turn, and two of his abilities are actual card advantage, so it's really all upside. Yeah, yeah. I like it. So I guess let's move on to another guy in our list. We've got a white creature benelish marshall he's white 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 so three for a three three and other dudes you have get plus one plus one so i guess he's pretty much yeah white weenie guy right yeah exactly <laughs> it's about um it. he's a very solid guy for a white weenie sort of deck you might maybe play him in death and taxes or hate bears or something like that it's not amazing but it's solid and it could easily be a role player yeah, I think so. I guess the uh, colourless off port, waste and strip and so on is going to make it hard to land him on turn three. But if you had a white weenie deck that has a lot of white sources, then this guy could be the guy for you. And it's not so bad if he doesn't hit the turn on actual turn three because he's at his best when you already have a board presence. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of board presence, how's this guy? Dauntless Bodyguard. One minor two one, and when he enters the battlefield, you choose another dude, and that dude gets indestructible until the end of turn. So it's it's basically you know ignore ignore the text box, and he's a one minor two one, and that's pretty much what what all the zoo decks. I mean, I'll defer to Vance here. Uh, you guys want two ones, right? Yeah, I think you actually missed it slightly. So you got to sacrifice it to make the other creature indestructible. Oh, you sack it. Yeah, you sack him to make something else indestructible later. But it, it's really good. It's probably the I don't know, second or third, maybe fourth best one costs of Annaliany type creature. So if you're playing something like Hate Bears or Zoo, there's a pretty good chance that this guy is good enough. Yeah, this card has some interesting rules implications. So uh, the way that it's worded, a lot of these cards that enter the battlefield, they'll be phrased as when it enters the battlefield or whenever it enters the battlefield or something like that that indicates that it enters the battlefield and then a trigger goes on the stack that is not the case for dauntless body card when he is on the stack as a spell then that is your chance to decide to deal with whatever you think your opponent may be looking to protect because as soon as that spell has resolved then they immediately choose another another creature that they control. You don't get the chance to respond to that. That choice has already been made, and he is already there and ready to be sacrificed to protect his buddy. Oh, so dauntless. Another interesting thing that this means is that the second ability doesn't care about whether the thing that was chosen when it entered is still a creature. For example, if you have activated a any sort of manland, be that a... Oh yeah, Mistress Factory or, or... 
or uh, the blue bat black manland or a celestial colonnade. If that is a creature at the time that this creature enters the battlefield, you can definitely select that as its chosen body to guard. However, later on, if someone goes like, you know what, I'm going to strip mine that land of yours, you can still sacrifice him and be like, it has indestructible. <laughs> it doesn't matter that it's not a creature anymore. That's so cool. Shows how much I read text boxes. I'm just like, oh, here's a one minus two one. Just ignore his text. The text is actually heaps good. <laughs> yeah, if you're running a combination of creatures and anything that can sometimes become a creature, then his utility shoots way up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes you're going to play him on turn one as a, you know, just a savannah lion. But often you're going to play him on like turn three and he'll protect your Tamagoyf so that they've got to expend resources killing it. And then you go, all right, mm. you need to have another go at that. So he's... He's very good at protecting whatever your best thing in play is. Um, so I, yeah, I think this card will definitely see Highland play. Wow, that's All right, sweet. what's up next? Well, we have next another white card that makes dudes, History of Banalia. So this is a saga. Uh, so maybe I'll defer to Millie to d- explain what a saga actually is. I think we've only got one or two on our list, but go for it. So History of Banalia is one white white for an enchantment saga. So saga is a new enchantment type that has come with Dominaria. And you'll see it's actually laid out very differently to other magic cards that we have in general. Along the left, there will be three numbers that indicates each chapter of the saga. Um, And as the saga enters the battlefield, you'll put a lore counter on it. And as soon as it has its first lore counter, it will trigger its first chapter ability. So we look at the card and we go, what's the first chapter? It's create a 2-2 white knight creature token with vigilance. The saga will then do nothing until your next turn comes around. At this point, the saga, technically after your draw phase, but as your pre-combat main phase begins, you will add a lore counter to History of Banalia. And once you've added the lore counter, it will immediately trigger, basically at the start of your pre-combat main phase, the second chapter, which in this case is again create a 2-2 white knight creature token with vigilance. Finally, uh, you pass the turn, it comes back to you after your draw phase. As your pre-combat main phase begins, it goes up to three. The final chapter ability is put on the stack. So in this case, it's knights you control get plus two plus one until end of turn. As soon as that third chapter ability has resolved and the saga still has three lore counters on it, uh, History of Banalia will get sacrificed. Now, the interesting thing is, of course, that you cast the spell once you will get three effects across three turns and then it will whisk itself off to the graveyard it will disappear if you want to stop one of these abilities from resolving you must deal with the card before the draw phase ends as soon as the draw phase ends and they go into their pre-combat main phase that law counter ticking up from one to two or two to three it just happens there isn't something that you can respond to uh as soon as that player gets priority in their pre-combat main phase the chapter ability is going to go on the stack and you can then respond to the chapter ability but if you want to prevent it from going on the stack at all you have to deal with the enchantment before it before the draw phase is over so yeah it's a it's an interesting card design so it is be, interesting. Yeah, there'd be cards that obviously interact with counters on permanence and you could somehow remove counters and then before you put a counter on and try and get lots and lots of knights somehow. I don't know. There's probably some kind of way to brew around it, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. Um, I won't get too deep into the other sort of fancy things that you can do with it. Uh, so let's just take a look and go, let's say turn one, you get a 2-2. Two -two. On turn two, you get another 2-2. Two -two. And on turn three, knights you control get plus two plus one. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I think, I think, well, I mean, we're not going to be building tribal knights, that's for sure. I don't think that's that's anyone's aspirations in Highlander. But it is pretty comparable to existing cards like Blade Splicer, which obviously makes four power for three mana, and Mirren Crusader, which essentially makes four power for three mana. It's kind of worse than those in some ways, but it's, it's you know, it's trading away the ability to, to pot away the Blade Splicer for a four drop. It's trading away the the uh, you know the multiple strikiness of Mirren Crusader and the Blade Splicer token, but instead you end up getting these vigilant knights and and I'm sure that in creature mirrors that's probably going to be relevant, but it's also adva the advantage is that it's better against control. So against control you get two creatures. Uh, which is the same amount of damage as the other other two options at your disposal, but it's kind of in this robust form of an enchantment where they have to answer an enchantment, but you've already got the first creature. If they don't answer it before the second creature comes out, the enchantment sticks around and gives them a four-power pump, which in some ways might allow you to race against control. I think it's interesting. Someone like Black-White Tokens might want this, and you could certainly be in the situation where you have some other knights. Uh, in fact, some other knights, our next cards which I'll just read out now while we're while I'm talking yeah, go about for it. it. So Knight of Grace and Knight of Malice is the black equivalent. Uh, so it's one and a white for a 2-2 with first strike. It's got Hexproof from Black, which is an incredibly ugly phrase, but that's <laughs> what it's got, which means exactly what you think it means. It can't be the target of black spells or abilities. And it gets plus one plus over as long as anyone controls a black permanent. So it doesn't have quite the protection that something like White Knight has, but it's easier to cast, and it's often going to be a three-power first striker for two, mm. um, which is quite good. So I think, you know, these cards could easily see play in various aggressive decks. Yeah, I think, like, what you know, White Knight and Black Knight are unplayable in Highlander, right? But then these two actually, you know, you look at them and you're like, maybe I'd play this. Yeah, particularly if you're in a two- or three-colour aggro deck, um, White Knight is just uncastable. Mm. most of the time um it's much easier to get one manner of multiple colors than multiple manner of one color a lot of the time um so the difference between a white and one and double white is quite large mm. that third point of power also makes a difference in how much you want to see this. definitely particularly because you can be the person who controls the permanent of the other color so again if you're playing something like black white oh, tokens you can put I this in yeah you, you can put this in and it just you trigger it, and it doesn't matter whether your opponent's playing black or not. <laughs> well, that depicts cool. uh, two knights very clearly charging at each other. They yeah. would um, work quite well on the same battlefield, on the same side. They are the best of friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of best of friends, let's check out Shalai, Voice of Plenty, who might be friends to all of your creatures. Uh, this is a four mana, three in a white, uh, three, four flying, where you, planeswalkers you control, and other dudes you have, uh, you control have other hexproof. Other creatures. Yeah, other creatures too. <laughs> Sorry, I said dudes. Uh, they have hexproof. And then you've got this additional line of text where it's four and green, green, and you put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. Yeah, this card seems sweet. What doesn't she do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, she doesn't get fixed with 
Green Sun Zenith, which is a minor downside, because uh, otherwise I think this would probably get played in Elves, and as it stands, it might not be quite fetchable enough, but it's a very good card. Uh, like, just hexproof all the things is fabulous text. Mm-hmm. And, and, hey, it gets around that thing we were talking about where your Planeswalkers get targeted when you've got a ley exactly. line of Sanctity out. Um, so she it's actually like protects they took them. that into consideration. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah it seems, seems cool. Um, so I think, yeah, the looks like the other ability is just icing right plus one plus one to all your dudes all your creatures uh, yeah. it's i think in a format like ours uh it's probably just going to be a win more kind of situation if uh if you're getting to six mana with a shalai on the battlefield then mm. you're probably in a pretty happy spot i mean that said gavity township is a card that gets highlander play and it's essentially six mana to give all you guys plus one plus one oh, so point. very good point it's it's gravy so but it is delicious gravy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing that. Speaking of delicious, let's go to blue. I All mean... right. So <laughs> the, fir- the, f- yeah, the first card that we've got under blue is another saga. Um, so I'll read it out. It is the Antiquities War. So it's three in the blue for an enchantment saga. And the first and second verses are both the same. It is look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal an artifact card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. And then the third verse is artifacts you control become artifact creatures with base power and toughness 5-5 until end of turn. Wow. I love the art on this. This Anything relating to the Antiquities War reminds me of reading that book when I was in high school. I, I just love this set. The art in this set is out of this world. Like, it... All the artists should be super proud of themselves. There are just so many cards that you look at them and you're just like, wow, I would love to have that hanging on my wall. Mm-hmm. So and I, they're not just nostalgia trips. They're just beautiful in general. Like I wasn't yeah. around for any of the Dominaria sets. I am not mm. familiar with any of the lore. And I'm still looking at them being like, wow, you can, you can tell that this is referencing a greater and more complicated world. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Though, for well, now, let's look at the uh, the actual the text on the card. <laughs> the actual yeah. stats. Well, the actual stats are kind of like Tezzera Agent of Bolus. So if you've ever played with with him before, he's uh, a blue-black, same kind of minor cost, so four total. And he does the first and second saga abilities, verse abilities, uh, as his plus one or plus zero. I can't remember which one it is. Is it plus, plus one? Plus one, I think. Yeah. So he he also helps you find artifacts. But, you know, he can get attacked and he can get burnt. Yeah, so this is less flexible than Tezzeret, but it's a very good finisher. Like, in, in certain kinds of decks, you don't really need Tezzeret's middle, middle ability. You don't need the flexibility. You just want to find some artifacts and then turn all your artifacts into 5-5s five and attack for 50. Well, you know what's awesome is if you're setting up with a bunch of artifacts because you want to go for some sort of artifact-based combo deck... You play the Antiquities War, and after a bit you just go, you know what, my opponent has even less time to deal with me than they thought they did. They can't mm. wait to try and counter when I go for a combo or try and destroy one key artifact. I'm just going to hit them in the face with a bunch of 5-5s. Five yeah, that's right. And of course, you can play this and Tezzeret. Just yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah that's right. It's Highlander, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alright, what's up next on our list? Check out Merfolk Trickster. It's blue, blue for a 2-2 with flash. 
And when it enters the battlefield, tap target creature and opponent controls, it loses all abilities until end of turn. It's This is really one of the first times we're seeing this really interesting design space in this flash creature, right? This is the humble ability. I don't think it's ability. like it on yeah. a creature, no. So strange. Yeah, I can't think of anything offhand. Oh, I'm sure someone will correct us if we're The wrong. closest I've seen is um, the pirate from from either Rivals of Ixalan or Ixalan, that when it attacks, it turns something into an O2 with no abilities. Mm, mm, yes. This is not quite the same, and uh, that thing has to attack. This effect, you can just flash it in, and that yeah. is quite powerful. It's just like having an instant, which is really cool, and, and it's exactly what you want to put into uh, tempo builds, because you've got a really cheap, cheap minor cost on a decent body, like it's a bear, uh, which can be played at any time, so the end of your opponent's turn, which is really nice, allowing it to have pseudo haste the next turn. I think that I would probably fit it into the blue-white uh, budget tempo deck that I made a, a while back, which was just all about making a deck that was on the cheap, but it actually was able to really tempo out uh, control decks. And and this guy seems to do that. It's also got two relevant creature types. Like, there's not a lot of things that reference wizards, but you can uh, bounce it with Riptide Laboratory. Um, to just repeatedly humble some creature, their Dark Steel Colossus or something. And it's also a Merfolk, and there's endless things that pump Merfolk. So it's, uh, I think this is definitely going to get some play. Mm. Yeah, I, I very recently saw a bit of a spicy blue-green Merfolk list uh, that top forward a a Highlander tournament. So uh, this is exactly the sort of options that Merfolk decks want to take a look at. Oh, and Wizard yeah. is quite a relevant creature type. Like you True. said, um, there's... Some cards that we might bring up at the end of this episode that care a lot about Wizard. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Yeah, I like that creature. Shall we have a look at another creature? This one is also two mana. It's Tetsuko Umezawa, uh, who is a fugitive. And she is a 1-3 that has creatures you control with power or toughness one or less can't be blocked. That's including herself. She's a legendary creature, so I'm sure that's going to be relevant at some point. But, I mean, if there was a build around me card, this is it. Yeah, it's it's potentially quite good in the sorts of blue tempo decks that we were talking about before, because in those decks you do get a lot of, like, 2-1 flyers and that sort of thing. So making them just proper unblockable is great. You know what is really awesome when it's unblockable? A, a two-costing 4-1 in the form of Frostwalker. Yeah, well, that's right. It also makes True Name Nemesis even more unblockable. Ha ha ha, you thought you could <laughs> block my my creature with protection from basically everything you touch? Wow, Think again. I, I literally only read it as power one or less. I didn't read toughness one or less. That's awesome. It really, really, cool. really is. There's actually so many, uh, just talking about that blue-white uh, tempo deck that I said before, that has heaps of two-ones in it. Oh, so this is it's really very cool. good with those sorts of cards. And also, you can see that there is a, as is appropriate for a character with the name Umazawa, this creature is basically tailor-made to carry an Umazawa Jite into battle. Oh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Three toughness is legit. Yeah, that's it. And just pumping them later. And three toughness is super good with uh, um, a format that's full of two ones, right? This She's a pretty Absolutely. good blocker. She certainly blocks Dauntless Bodyguard very well. <laughs> that's true. So speaking of legendary, we were just talking about legendary there and whether it's going to be relevant. Is this card going to be relevant? In black, it's called Cast Down. Uh, it is two mana, one and a black. 
and it says instant destroy target non-legendary creature. What do you think? This one's a little bit hard to judge. Um, I think it is probably going to be relevant. It's hard to tell how often this is better than go for the throat and how often it's worse. Mm. Um, so go for the throat is destroy target non-artifact from memory. Yeah, some, non-artifact or non-colorless. I can't remember creature. which one it is. Non-artifact, maybe. So they, they both destroy most creatures. Against some decks, this is straight up terminate for a black and one. Mm. Uh, I guess they can regenerate. But it's basically terminate for a black and one. There's yeah. I Against think some decks, it doesn't kill anything you care about. Yeah, that's right. I think I sitting across the other uh, side of the table against either of the types of Anafenza, but especially Anafenza the foremost, uh, Malira, if they're going to combo out, Titania and also Jace Friends Prodigy, they're the cards that I can imagine looking at cast down in my hand and wishing it was go for the throat. Absolutely. There are so many great legends that get played in any sort of singleton format because legendary is only a downside if you if you're carrying multiple copies i'd be very surprised if this sees a lot of play but like hey if there's two color deck maybe they just want to get a certain density of black kill spells this is not your first kill spell in black that's probably fatal push but in some metagames in some circumstances could be a fourth or something like that if you wanted a cheap one some somewhere in there all right vance did you want to yeah, tell us about this oh, next card. Okay, so this is Gitu Lava Runner. So it's one red for a 1-2. Uh, as long as there are two or more instant or sorcery cards in your graveyard, Gitu Lava Runner gets plus one plus one has haste. Now this is one that I'm I'm not sure has a home, but it might be playable in something like uh, Mono Red Burn or One Chin Red. It suffers a little bit from not being very good on the first or second turn of the game. Uh, so you've got to be in a deck that can live with that drawback. Uh, but if you can, it's a goblin guide that doesn't draw them any lands. Yeah, yeah. Late, I think late game top decks, it'd be quite nice. Obviously, yeah. haste 2-2 two, two when you need it. I, I think one of the downsides, which is often overlooked, is that sometimes in these aggressive decks, two toughness is bad because it can't get skull clamped. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you're better off playing the better creature and not worrying about whether you can skull clamp it. But it can be a minor annoyance at times, that's for sure. Man, it's so annoying when you have two or more instants or sorcery cards in your graveyard and then all of a sudden your creature is blockable because of your Umazawa. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Tetsuko so can't help him through. Savage numbers. <laughs> Oh, so what we have up next in red is a card uh, with a creature type that I know many people are fond of that mm. is Goblin Chain Whirler and it is red 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 for a creature goblin warrior it's a 3-3 and he has first strike which is always a great ability but uh, when Goblin Chain Whirler enters the battlefield it deals one damage to each opponent and to each creature and planeswalker they control he just pings everyone and everything mm. except for your things mm. you don't see one-sided effects in red much at all do you no it's very uncommon although i guess you know it's in the direction they're sort of moving and this is another card that's good in decks like uh, mono red and um one chin red it's probably not playable in something like zoo because triple red is a pain to get but it's a pretty savage mana cost really mm. <laughs> yeah but it's a powerful <laughs> ability um like, it's the sort of thing that you would love to play on turn three and just have uh, your elves' opponent weep oh, gently man. into their hands. Oh. <laughs> yeah, one-sided wraths when they've got dorks or one-sided wraths when they've got a bunch of two-ones in the aggro mirror. Oh, man. 
I would not want to be on the receiving end of his whirling chains. Indeed. So let's check out the gold cards. What you got next for us, We have Joyra, Weatherlight Captain, who is a four mana, so two blue and a red for a 3-3 hill giant. And she has the ability, whenever you cast a historic spell, draw a card. And obviously historic spells are artifacts, legendaries, and sagas. So it will only really be relevant for the artifacts. But, I mean, there's occasionally legendary creatures, as we were saying before. Yeah, so there's a bunch of cards in the set with historic. And Joyra's the most obviously uh, useful. It's unclear whether she's quite good enough for Highlander, but... You can easily imagine someone drawing up a combo deck that's its plan is to repeatedly bounce zero-cost artifacts and oh, draw a pile yes. of cards from them. Oh, um, yes. And drawing lots of cards is something that is often good, uh, <laughs> I hear. Just, yeah. just a little. Have you seen Paradoxical Outcome in many decks in, in Highlander much at all? I, I don't think I have, but I can imagine that this could be an additional kind of Paradoxical Outcome and you can actually get enough to validate playing chrome mox mox diamond grim monolith maybe a couple of points on the mox and uh, the actual mox and mana crypt and mana vault and then a bunch yeah. of cheap artifacts that synergize with them like uh, uh voltaic key and the, the time bolt combo that kind of stuff yeah the other thing with joyra uh, as compared to something like paradoxical outcome is you can just play her as a value engine uh so you drop this on turn three or four and then your plan is to play two or three artifacts over the next couple of turns or four or five artifacts if they're cheap enough, and just draw enough cards to pull away from whatever your opponent's doing. Yeah, I've seen in these colours. I've seen Jory N played quite a bit, and that, that's the kind of role that yeah. she's playing, right? The uh, one mana more, but having having the ability to draw more cards in a turn rather than just a single card you get off Jory N. Well, of course, a three three body. That's nothing to sneeze at. That's gonna block a lot of little creatures. Yeah, that's it. Nice wink on. Speaking of wingons, right. next up is Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, and he is three white blue for a plain, legendary planeswalker, Teferi. He enters on four loyalty. His first ability is plus one, draw a card. At the beginning of the, the next end step, untap two lands. Then he has minus three, put target non-land permanent into its owner's library third from the top. And his ultimate is minus eight. You get an emblem with whenever you draw a card, exile target permanent and opponent controls. Ooh, permanently and like exile. A lot of, <laughs> like a lot of Planeswalker ultimates, that's pretty much ultimate the Planeswalker win the game. Yeah. Yeah. Seems about You'd right. have to be in a pretty powerful position not to concede to that. Yeah, I think if we use the same evaluation metric we did for Khan earlier, you look at whether it generates card advantage. Yes, he does. Uh, you look at whether they can protect themselves from attackers. Yep, he does that too. And do they cost less than five? No, he doesn't. So I guess it's it's possible that that one additional mana is going to be paid off in the power of his abilities. Like that minus three can exile not only creatures, but it can exile problematic permanents like Skull Clamp, Birthing Pod, Back to Basics, Blood Moon, Time Vault, pretty much anything that you're really scared of in Highlander. But does the five mana mitigate that? I wonder. One advantage he does have, even though he's five mana, is because of his plus one untaps two lands, you can tap out for him and still be able to protect him with counter spells on your opponent's turn, mm. Um, mm. which is pretty exciting. And what? plus his minus three does, because it puts it into the owner, the owner's library, not on top, but like third from the top, it gives you a couple of turns to plan for when they're going to draw that card again. 
And it may lead to your opponent having a couple of awkward moments where they're like, I really want to draw that, but in mm. order to cast it again or cast something else in the meantime, I have to crack at this fetch land. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it looks like we're talking about him in a control capacity, right? So he probably would fit in that blue-white control deck that people have been trying to brew. It's always been kind of, you know, fringe playable, but this might give it an additional tool alongside Jace and Gideon Jura as another finisher and card value engine. You just can't let him go for too long unchecked. You've got to... He is a Planeswalker that you have to deal with, and when it comes to control decks, end of the day, you'll draw a card off him, at, or you'll deal with a permanent at minimum, and uh, that will probably gain you some life, as anything that's trying to kill you with creatures is going to take a bit of time to... Unless they're literally about to kill you, they've got to divert some attention to Teferi. Well, speaking of five drops, I have placed a five drop on this list that is just personal preference here. So uh, this is Tatiova, Benthic Druid, who is three green and a blue for a 3-3. Three, three. But the main thing I'm looking at, you know, Merfolk Druid aside, is the text. Whenever a land enters a battlefield under your control, you gain one life. We've seen that before in uh, the course of Crucifix, but it also says, and draw a card. So it looks like, as soon as I saw it, I thought, someone's going to break this card, you know, and, and I'd like it to be me, but someone's going to get there first. There's a lot of really good combo players in Highlander, and as soon as you look at that, you go, oh, fast bond? I hear gaining a life and losing a life nets you cards every time you play lands, and what about gush? I mean, that returns lands, you can play them again, not lose any life, essentially. Then, you know, you've got so many good interactions with... Uh, Crucible of Worlds and another green creature, Ramanap Excavator, which can also be Green Sun Zenith to get either Tatiova or Ramanap Excavator to play lands from your graveyard. And since you have Fast Bond out, that allows you to draw more cards and then play more lands and draw more cards. I'm sure that there's an awesome deck here and we just need to figure out how it actually works. Yeah, I think Tatiova is one of those sorts of cards that, I mean, five is a lot of mana in Highlander, but the ability is very exciting. So if you can, if someone can find the right shell for her, I think uh, there's every chance she goes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just well... the thought of Gush essentially becoming draw two cards, <laughs> then draw another card, then draw, <laughs> draw another, another card, card, and gain draw two life. Cards. Zero that's, mana. That's delicious. Draw four cards. Actually, gain two mana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think someone's going to build something here. She, she also lets you dig through your deck pretty hard with you know Corsair of Crufix and. An exploration. You can play the land off the top of your library, draw the next card. If the next card on your library is also a land, you play that and draw another. Card. It's great. Yeah. It she can be a value great. engine, but I think Sav's right. She's gonna she's gonna be a combo enabler. Some kind oh, of insane. Probably. Yeah, some kind of insane blue black a blue green combo deck. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, this is this is the season. The season for brewers. Uh, Speaking of combo, though, uh, do you want to take us through the next card? So this is Muldoth of the Gravetide, uh, which is a fabulous name. So it's a blue, a black, a green, and three for a 6-6. It's a legendary elemental avatar. During each of your turns, you may play up to one permanent of each permanent type from your graveyard. So, I mean, the most obvious application for this is it's great with Wasteland and Stripmine. But it's also just great with creatures with sacrifice abilities or creatures your opponents have killed previously, replaying your Planeswalkers, you know, having nutty turns where you're like, oh, I'm going to replay a Mox Diamond and discard a land, which I'll just put into play, 
and I'll replay this planeswalker that you killed and this creature that you killed. It sounds pretty exciting. So it's really good in... Well, it's got a lot of potential in a deck like Dark Bant if you want to uh, play a 6-drop in that. This is one that just gives you so much value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's been a tradition of mid-range decks playing sometimes maybe one 6-drop. Uh, depending on whether they want to go really, really long range. And yep. they let, allow themselves to pod into it. But, you know, you don't always want to be sacrificing a Titania. But if your top end is Muldorotha, then it's pretty scary. I mean, Sun Titan and Wormcoil Engine have been up the top there. But pretty much any of these six drops, if you untap with them, you win the game, right? Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, this... Sorry, Millie? Oh, I was just agreeing. If you untap with Muldorotha on the battlefield, then you're going to be hard-pressed to lose that game. Yeah, and, and it's particularly exciting with something like Titania in play as well, because you can keep bringing back that fetch land and generating five fives with it. It's also important to note that because it's green, unlike Sun Titan, you can uh, natural order and green sun zenith for it. Um, so you can see Muldrotha coming into play. Like I can see situations where it might come into play on turn three or four, oh. or turn two if something incredibly spicy is happening. Yeah, the amount of value you're going to get from it there is large. Yeah, that looks I'm, sick. I'm, I'm excited. Like, if a deck is ends up playing Muldrotha, I'm excited to see that deck. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's what we're about in Highlander. We want, just want to see someone do something crazy. Uh, the next card is not crazy. It's just like a nice little piece of glue that sticks a deck together. It's Adeliz, the Cinderwind. Uh, one blue-red, so three mana for a 2-2. Two, two, flying in haste. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, wizards you control, because uh, Adelez is a human wizard, gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So obviously there's a wizard tribal sub-theme there, but looking at the card on its own, giving itself that bonus, it's essentially flying haste prowess, two, two for three. It's not quite the same as prowess, because you're not going to get the bonus off um, enchantments or of artifacts or planeswalkers. Oh, that's right, play, yes. But yeah. it's pretty close to it in the sort in the style of deck that wants a card like this. Yeah, uh, so Dr. Seuss is a blue-red fish deck, um, and this is a really good card in that sort of deck, because coincidentally, most of the creatures in that deck are already wizards, so mm. and many of them have prowess, so suddenly your Storm Chaser Mage, when this is out, has, you know approximately double prowess which is going to lead to some pretty nutty draws where you play this on turn three and on turn four you just unload your hand and deal tremendous amounts of damage to your opponent if they let you get there yeah that seems exciting it'll be interesting to see if it can fit into that deck yeah i think uh you probably cut jury into the sideboard for it Mm. um but it'll take some experimentation to be sure yeah i like it well, speaking of a card that I like, who'd like to introduce this one? Because I'm excited for this one. I'll read over this one. So this is our first artifact that we were talking about. It is Voltaic Servant. It's two mana for a 1-3 artifact creature construct. And it has the very relevant text. At the beginning of your end step, untap target artifact. Oh, Oh boy. That's right, potential, just ideas unbound. So much potential here. This this card is so exciting because it's one of the simplest to evaluate cards because it slots straight into an existing deck. If you think about the blue-black Time Vault deck, which finds ways to find its Time Vault, recur its Time Vault, and take infinite turns, and then figure out win cons later, 
Uh, this card goes straight in alongside Voltaic Key. Now Voltaic Key lets you take infinite turns with Time Bolt, and it costs essentially two mana, one to play and one to activate, but Voltaic Servant doesn't get misstepped because it costs two. And it does get fetched by Muddle the Mixture because it costs two as well. So essentially you don't need to activate it, you just play it, and then at the end of your, uh, in your end step, you untap your Time Bolt and take an additional turn. Yeah, it's... It's a little bit more fragile than Voltaic Key because it does get you know, lightning bolted pretty hard. Mm. But if you manage to land this in a point where your opponent is tapped out, it is both combo piece and very slow win condition. Yes. It's also just nice to have the slowest of win conditions. <laughs> but it is just nice to have a little redundancy for that kind of effect in a, form, in a singleton format. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there have been decks built by um, various people which play... There, there have been a lot of cards printed by Wizards in the last couple of years which let you untap Time Vault. So there was um, uh, there's an angel, which I'm going to forget the name of, which was in one of the Commander decks, which is like a three-colour Bant angel that lets you untap a permanent when you attack mm, with it, mm. and various things like that. And so people have sort of bent themselves into corners playing some of these extra effects, so you've got some extra ways to untap Time Vault. And as you said, this one's just... It's extremely straightforward. It does exactly what you expect it to do. Um, it'll have some occasional other bonus effects other than the Time Vault. Uh, and I would be shocked to see this getting no play. So, like, absolutely Highlander playable. Yeah. Yeah. It just basically is cheap. It's cheaper than Raoul Zarek and other four minor ways to try and combo with, with Time Vault. And I guess, uh, aside from its win conness, it's also a way to not lose, right? Because three toughness is relevant against a whole bunch of 2 1 aggro creatures. Yeah, two ones and two threes. Like it, it doesn't kill curd apes, but it blocks them all day. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, I have this uh, dream where I get to win the game with Voltaic Servant untapping Time Bolt. Then my opponent goes, but 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 what do I do? Do I take out my removal for creatures? And and you go <laughs> side him out, side him out, <laughs> or just just you know, <laughs> this is play those mind games. Or the opposite is they don't see him game one, and then they go, oh, you're a Time Bolt deck with no creatures. I'll take out all my removal, and you then you win by Voltaic Servant just resolving and, and attacking for like fifty. So, I don't know. It's just going to be as much as it is a sweet dream. I think that going forward, whenever we see a time vault deck, we're just going to have to start assuming that if there's a voltaic key, there is a voltaic servant somewhere nearby. Yeah, yeah it seems, <laughs> seems good. Well, I do was... like the little shout out in the art. His uh, left hand is instead of a, a hand with like digits, it is just straight up a voltaic key. Oh man, that is so yeah. cool. <laughs> I didn't even see that. I looked at his text box and I didn't see his art. That is awesome. It's very cute. Speaking of cute, here's a cute card. We won't spend much time on it. It's called Zalfarin Void, and it is a land, colourless, taps for wingdings, comes into play untapped, and it allows you to scry one. So I guess there's probably space for this in Built From Scrap, right? As a colourless land that just gives you a little bit of card selection. In, in decks like that, or in some monocolor decks where you've got a little little bit of space for a couple of colorless lands, you might play this. It's Give me not... the five-second summary of Built From Scrap. Uh, Built From Scrap is a mono-red uh, artifact deck built around Mishra's Workshop, and it's like stacks from other formats, basically, uh, is ah. the most common build. But yeah, so in, in a deck like that, or in, yeah, as I said, other monocolor decks, you might squeeze this in. Um, it's not going to rock anyone's world, but it is a nice little bit of uh, card selection. Well, that brings us to the end of our our block of actual spoiler spoilers, and then we've got a bunch of honourable mentions. We might just mention their their card names. Is that okay? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, do you want to take us through the the first list, which is um, All right. the equipment sub-theme? Yeah, this first list, I've just chucked it in there because it is uh, around a deck that I've wanted to build for a while. It's red-white equipment Highlander, and you just have a bunch of aggro creatures and a bunch of, you know, skull clamp and jitter and other equipments. And these creatures, if you look them up in your own time, we've got Valduk, Keeper of the Flame. We've got Danitha, Capuchin, Paragon. Champion of the Flame and Tiana Ships Caretaker. Basically, all four of these guys care about equipment and do something synergistic with Skull Clamp or other types of equipments. I never thought about uh, Tiana and Skull Clamp. That's a nice one. It'd be a little bit of fun. <laughs> if you like, someone gets rid of your Skull Clamp, you're like, it's okay. Just it's pop right. that I got, back. I got this. I got this. <laughs> Good as new. Yeah, it's kind of Nahiri, like that. The big five minor Nahiri in a way to just return specifically equipments. Yeah, everyone loves Angel Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have the some lands. So there is a cycle of, I guess you could call them spell lands in Dominaria. They're lands that enter the battlefield tap, um, tapped. They all tap for a coloured mana of the relevant type. Um, there's, they're all kind of okay, but uh, there's only really one that you wanted to highlight, yeah? Yeah, m- Memorial to Genius, and it. Its activated ability is four and a blue tap, sacrifice it, and draw two cards. And we've seen this before on Blighted Cataract, which comes into play untapped, taps for colourless, and the activation is one more. So, I mean, even though that hasn't seen playing Highlander, I think this could possibly be played just because it's a bit more aggressively costed in its activation, and it taps for blue. Tapping for blue is much more useful. We've got this card, Lich's Mastery, which I'm sure another combo player will find a way to abuse. It's kind of like upgraded Lich. Or Lick. I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's Lich. Lich. Okay. Definitely Lich. So uh, Lich's Mastery is three black, black, black for a legendary enchantment. There's a lot of text There's so on much this text. Card. Please read it it's at home. It's, it's so long, but <laughs> it does so many things. But Life it's into very cards, similar right? to Lich. Yeah. Essentially, uh, you when you run out of life, uh, you start sacri- or not even sacrificing. You start exiling things that you control. Um, with the flavor being, eventually you will have to exile uh, the Lich's mastery itself, and at that point, it will stop you from being unable to lose the game. Just there's a lot of text on it. It's very interesting. Go mm. give it a read. So we have a couple of little other honorable mentions here. Benelish Honor Guard, which is a 2 2 for 2 bear that gets plus 1 plus 0 for each legendary creature you control. Maybe it might get played in some kind of uh, mono white deck. Yeah, not that likely. Not impossible. <laughs> it's Amaru's best friend. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And then we have Naban, Dean of Iteration, which has this wizard tribal ability and allows you to trigger wizards twice when they come into the battlefield. I always wanted to snapcast it again. That's just my dream, essentially. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, I mean, Naban's one of those cards. It's probably not quite good enough, but uh, there are a lot of wizards in this deck, in, in this set, so um, it's not impossible that someone comes up with some cunning wizard tribal deck. Someone uh, could So then we've it. got Unwind, which is a three-mana negate that lets you untap three lands. Um, 
I think it's playable. Three is a lot more than two. But, but three, exactly, exactly. Three is a lot more than two. Negate is really, really good. That's why we see it in every sideboard. So whether you want to fit Unwind in that sideboard too, probably unlikely given that the competition is Negate, Pyroblast, Flusterstorm, all these great cheap ones. It's really hard to fight a counter war and you won't have it open to counter DAC on turn three. Yep. Uh, so then we've got Blink of an Eye. Uh, this is exactly Into the Royal, which is a playable sideboard piece so maybe someone really wants to um yeah basically just one to play i'm going to encourage everybody to play into the royal because the art of blink of an eye really (laughs) freaks me out and i don't want to look at it imagine what that would look like in foil bizarre yeah no thanks please google that go to go check out blink of an eye very creepy um speaking of terrible art uh we've also got squeedy immortal um (laughs) who's basically another eternal scourge Part of the reason I wanted to mention it is just, um, you know, some of the art in this set is amazing and some is less amazing. <laughs> I guess Squee fans are out there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, uh, I like the card. I like the idea of the card. Um, and Miss Holly Griffin food chain combo is something that I've seen people try occasionally. So maybe having the third piece pushes you over the edge. Who knows? Could do. There's also Broken Bond. Uh, which is essentially destroy tar- it's it's a naturalize effect but it also has you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield the downside of it being that it's sorcery it do- does that sort of effect really see that much play you see seal of cleansing and seal of primordium and their sorcery speed fundamentally as enchantments but you know losing the ability to preemptively play your destruction for a blood moon or a back to basics is a big downside but maybe this could be played in something like Scapeshift, where it wants to have a ramp effect in from the sideboard that still affects their kills their uh, artifacts or enchantments, but still lets you ramp, keep on your game plan. Maybe it's pretty niche, though. All right, yeah. um, they're not on the list that you guys are looking at, but I did want to quickly bring up that we now have uh, Wizards Lightning and Wizards Retort. Oh yeah, and these are spells that uh, Wizards Lightning is two and a red for. Uh, deal an instant deal three damage to target creature well, to any target and wizard's retort is one blue blue counter target spell both of them have the text that um, essentially reads if you control a wizard uh, only play only pay for the colored parts of the cost so they just if you have a wizard you just have a straight up lightning bolt and a counter spell if there's an, a high enough density of wizards in your deck that you think will have a reasonable chance of being on the board and like We've mentioned a lot of wizards, but uh, the front the front facing side of Delver of Secrets is a wizard. Um, mm. Stabcaster Mage is, of course, a wizard. There's other wizards around. It might be enough in a blue red deck to make the cut. Alrighty, so I think we'll wrap this episode up here. Thank you again for joining us. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at HighlanderCast. Shoot us questions or feedback. Um, we can answer you most directly there. We are also really into you telling us sick Highlander stories or telling us or linking us to your deck brews. Um, always interested in seeing what you guys get up to with the, the cards, especially with Dominaria, once we've got all these new fun tools to play with. If you'd like to follow any of us individually, um, only myself and Vance are on Twitter. I'm at Foxes for Sale and Vance is at Van- Vancian Notions. If you'd like to get 
more involved in the Seven Point Highlander community, uh, please go and check out OzEternal.com. That is where you can find the rules and the points list for our format. Search up Seven Point Highlander on Facebook. We have a Facebook group where we all chat about points updates, uh, decks we're brewing, events that are coming up, what things we... any questions or queries we've got about the format. There's also a Discord, so we'll chuck a link to the Discord in the show notes. Our outro and our intro rather our intro and our outro are by jtmp jackson mccall pierce who has done an awesome job aside from that i think we're done so thanks for listening everyone thanks guys thanks for listening thanks for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode